Well, good morning. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Bill Stafiri, and typically I introduce myself as the senior pastor here at Beach Point Church. But if you read, there was an article on our church this week in the Los Angeles Times, and they listed my wife as the senior pastor. And so either I got demoted and didn't hear about it, or promoted to first lady. So I don't, yes, the truth is out. So whatever I am, I'd love to meet you after the service if you're new with us. Uh, my junior year of college, I had the privilege of, of spending the entire summer as a missionary in uh, Zimbabwe, Africa. And uh, deep, deep in the heart of Africa, I bought my khaki pants and got my, my shots and, and my malaria pills and had my big backpack and everything. And it was everything I, I kind of thought in some ways and different in so many other ways. And you're, you're eating new foods and, and it's just the heat and the walking everywhere and dusty roads deep into the heart of this, this place. In fact, it was so uh, remote where I was at that they knew I was a missionary because no white people had, had ever gone there except missionaries had gone into this place. And it was an amazing summer uh, working with these wonderful people all, all summer long and, and sharing about the hope of Jesus Christ. And, and as I got a chance to do that, I also came to this understanding, boy, that was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. That was just a, it, it took a big toll on learning how to do all that I did. And, and so I ended the summer with kind of this, this thought, uh, Lord, if you want me to be a full-time missionary, I will be. But wow, you're going to have to strengthen me for this because this is hard work. Now I'm curious, uh, do we have anyone here this morning who is a full-time missionary? Could you just raise your hand? I don't know if we have anyone here. Okay. How many, anyone in here that would like to be a full-time missionary now that I've just... Okay. You're the, well, let me congratulate you on something. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, are a full-time missionary. And let me explain this. Uh, Jesus, uh, imagine you're in the upper room with the disciples, and Jesus appears in the room. He, he walks through the wall or whatever he does. Here he is in his resurrection body, standing before you. And, and he says these words to you. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, the word mission comes from the Latin word missio, which means to be sent. And God, by his very nature, is a sending God. God, the Father, sends the Son into the world uh, to bring salvation. And the Father and the Son sent the Spirit. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit now send us, the church, into the world to be ambassadors of the hope that we have. And, and, and so there's this unique, uh, wonderful thing that, that all of us begin to understand. In fact, it's probably one of the biggest challenges that we have in the church today is that we begin to think that mission is this thing that we pack our bags and go to rather than something we have all been called to as followers of Jesus here and now. Maybe, let me try it again. How many of you in here are full-time missionaries. Raise your hand. Okay, perfect. Okay, let's close in prayer. Uh, <laughs> what, what I want you to see this morning is that you are a sent person. You are sent by the, the one and only Jesus into the world to share what it is that he has done and what it is he's coming to do. And as we begin to, to think about this, you, you don't have to pack your bag to go and do this. You can simply walk across the office to do this. You can walk across the street and do this. You can, you can walk across your very living room and do this. You can be a sent person and share the, this great hope. And so what I want us to see today is as the very first church was being established, 
uh, there's this, this great understanding that they were coming into, the, the unique role that God had them each to play. And what we saw in these last couple of weeks is the, the, this generous nature of who they were, that God was inviting them to give away their time and their talents and their treasure. And we saw that, that this unique privilege as, as these very first Christians, the, the hope of Jesus Christ coming into their life, as they saw the hope that came through the resurrection, believed that to be not only what had happened in Jesus' life, but what would happen in their life if they had faith in him. They became the, the heralds, the, the ambassadors. They were the ones to go out with this message all over the world. And as they would go out, you have to think about this. Our, our message that we have is a message of hope. The message is that, that you are loved by God and that you do not have to be trapped by sin and death any longer. That, that God in his great love has sent his son and the, the son has become the king and his kingdom is here and you can become a part of it. And, and the very thing that every person wants and every person kind of dreams of in some sense is this idea that I could live forever. And you can, in fact, live forever as a part of this kingdom. And this is good news. This is the news that we have to share with all the world. And so I want us to see the way that they began to discover their their role in sharing this with all the world. And so if you want to take notes, I'm going to encourage you to write down. This is our our big idea of what we're going to look at today. Because we are all called to be everyday missionaries. And our big idea today is to help unpack what it means to be an everyday missionary. See, everyday missionaries bring good news wherever they go. And I want you to think about what it is to be this person and what it means that wherever you go, you have something to bring. You have good news to bring wherever it is you go. I mean, think about this way. Uh, Jesus said this. He, he gave what we call a, the Great Commission. He said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, baptize them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. I will be with you. Uh, I'll be with you always to the very end. And usually what we think of as we hear that is, uh, okay, we got to go make disciples. So again, pack our bags, let's go somewhere and let's make disciples. The command of the Great Commission is make disciples, not go. It's make disciples. In fact, go, maybe even a better way of understanding that would be as you go into the world, make disciples. As you go into your workplace, make disciples. As you go into your classroom, make disciples. As you go into your home, make disciples. As we go into this world, we are called to make disciples. And it's interesting for us to embrace this because in some ways, uh, this area, as much as any area perhaps in the world right now, needs you. In fact, what we're seeing is that people are coming to Christ much more rapidly in Africa and Asia in Central America and South America, places that, that we would quickly send people to. That they're coming, they're they're reaching people in their own countries at a much faster rate than we're reaching people here. In fact, in Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley, about 80% of the people are not active in their faith or any faith at all. And so there's a huge work for us to do and to be available to. And so let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 26 to 40. If you need a Bible, they're right in front of you. We're going to be on page 1099. And let me set it up a little bit because what we saw a couple, uh, we saw last week was that we were, uh, the, the early church had come to this place where they realized how important it was to multiply. And so all the work was being done by a few people. And so we see seven that are raised up to help 
They were seven Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, and they were going to help in the distribution of food to to the needy. And as they were brought up, one of the interesting that happened is that as the, as the Lord was adding to their number daily, those who were being saved, there's kind of uh, chapter six kind of ends with this, this powerful uh, expression of all these great things that are happening. And we come into chapter seven and we were introduced to a, a, one of the seven is a man named Stephen. And Stephen, as he's sharing this great hope, he's grabbed, he's ripped outside the city gates and the people literally stone him to death. One of the men that is standing there with his, uh, giving his approval is a man named Saul of Tarsus. We'll learn more about him next week. But Saul, it, really, you almost want to think of him like a Christian terrorist, almost like what we're seeing in some parts of the world today. But Saul made it his mission to eliminate, to exterminate this Christian sect. And a great persecution broke out. And if you read the very first verses of Acts chapter 8, you see this, that those who were scattered Preach the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. We see in verse 1 that as they're scattered... As they went into the world, wherever it is that they went, they were sharing good news. And Philip was sent and he went into this place called Samaria. Maybe you even remember Acts chapter 1. Jesus told them, you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. And then in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And it's to be interesting what we're going to see here in chapter 8 is that that last part to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, we start to see the fulfillment of that very thing. And so let's read together. We're going to follow the life of this man, Philip. Philip was one of the seven uh, that we saw last week. But uh, uniquely, the Spirit of God now follows him. And we get a chance to watch what it means to be an everyday missionary. So let's read verses 26 to 40. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandike, which means queen of the Ethiopians. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet, Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and to sit with him. And the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading uh, says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came uh, came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. 
Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, it's very interesting to see that what we, in the very first verses of chapter 8, we see what seems to be a very successful ministry. Uh, Philip scatters about. He finds himself in Samaria. He preaches the good news, and there's this tremendous response. So verse 26 almost kind of throws us off a little bit as to why would God call him away. And it almost seems like there's no strategy involved because the call you see there is go. Go to the desert road. And the calling is, uh, it, it really is, go to this deserted place. Go to this lonely road. Go to this place and, uh, uh, where you'll, you'll kind of figure out what's there next. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this before where God, in essence, calls you and you have no idea what this calling means. It makes no sense to you. You know that God is saying to you, hey, I need you here. I want you here. And you're thinking to yourself, this makes no sense. It makes more sense for me to stay where I am. But what we notice in Philip's life is that he responded. And, and where God was sending him was uh, 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 probably about 50 miles south of Jerusalem. It was a rather significant distance from where he was to where he was sending him. And so here he goes out to that deserted road waiting for what's next. But one of the things that we learn from this passage, though, is how important our obedience is when God calls. And, and the reason why we're obedient is, is we have to understand something about the nature of who God is and why he calls us. And this is the first thing I'd encourage you to write down is that an everyday missionary reaches the one, not just the many. An everyday missionary reaches the one and not just the many. It would have been easy for, for Philip to be able to see, look at the big influence I'm having. Why would you call me away? But when God calls, we go. Why? Because he cares about the one as much as he cares about the many. In fact, Jesus was very clear about this. There was a moment in Jesus' ministry where he began to teach. And he had all these critics about why he seemed to care about people. And, and Jesus was trying very hard to, to help, him, help the people understand how much people mattered to God. And there was question over some of the people that Jesus was reaching out to. And Jesus wanted to teach them that all of heaven rejoices when even one sinner repents. In fact, Luke is the one who captures it in Luke 15. that the, Jesus tells a story that there's a shepherd and he has a hundred sheep. And he has the 99, but one gets away. And what does the shepherd do? He says, he says the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Or a woman who has 10 coins and she loses the one. And she forgets the other nine and she turns the house upside down looking for the one. Or a man who has two sons and one who goes away. But that, that, that father sits there waiting for that one son to come home. And on and on he teaches this idea that people matter to God. And God cared about one Ethiopian official traveling alone on the desert. And so what does he do strategically? He puts Philip in this place and he is there to respond. See, our call is to follow God's leading, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Why? Because people matter to God. So we call it, uh, uh, for you, we ha we've tried to encourage you to think about the 8 to 15 or so people that God has uniquely placed in your life right now. 
We call this our 8 to 15 list. And, and uh, one of the things, if you haven't done this already, out in the lobby, there's a, a little daily journal. And for four weeks, we're, we're trying to walk through our, our list and, and prayerfully think about each week the unique people God has strategically, supernaturally, sovereignly placed in our life. I want to encourage you to do this. If you haven't started it yet, start this, but add this to the routine of your devotional life with God. If you haven't begun any kind of life like that, what I would encourage you is find a time each day where you can spend some time in prayer and, and, and reading some scripture. But add this to that so that you are learning to tune your heart into hearing God's spirit leading you into the people's lives that he's placed in your life at this unique season. The people will change as the seasons of our life change. But uniquely, as you begin to realize, like Philip, that the Spirit of God is calling you into the lives of people, you play a role. See, it's very important for us uh, to, to tune ourselves in. And I would encourage you, much like you wash your hair, wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Read this, and then when four weeks is over, keep this as a part of your daily devotional life so that you tune your heart into what God is doing. And it's important because what we want to realize is that people matter to God and that people need God. In 1854, there was a criminal in London named Charlie Peace, and he was caught and he was sentenced to be hung. And so as they were walking him to the gallows, the Anglican church had a a ceremony for, for hanging. They had all kinds of ceremonies. And so there's a priest that's walking and he's reading from the prayer book. And as he's walking behind Charlie Peace, he begins to read these words. Those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring. And as Peace heard those words, he stopped. He turned and he looked at the priest and he said, do you believe those words? The priest was caught a little off guard by the challenge and he said, I, I guess I do. And peace shouted back at him, I don't. But if I did, I'd get down on my hands and knees and crawl all over Great Britain, even if it were paved with pieces of broken glass, if I could rescue one person from what you just told me. And everyday missionaries, remember that every person matters to God that God calls us to reach the one, not just the many. Now it's important because as you begin to think of this, the gravity of, of, of this kind of stuff that we're getting ourselves involved to, you, you, you might look at this and say, well, look at Philip. That's unfair. Philip is, he's in the Bible. He was one of the seven. I mean, he's obviously got a lot going for him. I'm just an ordinary person. But Philip actually shows us something. It's the second thing I'd encourage you to write down is God uses ordinary people to share extraordinary news. The truth is that Philip was a regular guy. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles. In fact, I, I don't know that this was Luke's intention, but it is somewhat interesting, isn't it? Last week we saw this description of the seven that they were chosen. It, it goes something like this. Uh, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Uh, I, mean, it, 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 I don't know that that was his point, but you kind of get this idea that Stephen was awesome. And next chapter is all about Stephen. Oh, and then there's Philip and these other guys too. But what we see in Philip is simply this. Here's Philip. He's a Greek-speaking Jew that's converted to, to Christianity. But he's obeying the leading that God has given him. 
The thing that makes him unique, the thing that makes him special is his obedience and the fact that he is responding to the Spirit's prompting in his life. Now, it's, it, watch his strategy. Watch what he does. As the Spirit tells him to go up to the chariot, notice what he does. He's running alongside the chariot and he's listening. And, and, and we learn something that our job is to meet people where they're at, to listen to them to see what's going on. And as the Ethiopian is having this passage, listening to this passage, this great passage, is Isaiah 53, this passage that kind of tells us all about the Messiah and his suffering for, for us. He's confused. He's trying to figure it out. And so Philip is able to engage him in a conversation. He enters into the, the chariot with him. And it says, beginning at that point, he began to share from that passage on and point him to Jesus. And this is our job. This is the job. Philip demonstrates what your job is, is point people to Jesus. And Philip is able to, to kind of tell the story of Scripture now through the lens of Jesus. And he's able to see it. And, and you almost get the sense that uh, Philip is using some of the sermons he's heard preach. Because it gets to this point where the Ethiopian comes, he sees water. And he knows and, and probably has heard that as Philip is sharing some of the things that has been happening as people have been getting baptized. And, the, and it's the Ethiopian himself who says, why not baptize me? I believe this. I want this. And they go down into the water and are baptized. It's interesting. I think some of us, I, I, I know for myself, we, we all panic the thought of entering into a conversation with someone about Jesus and not knowing what to say. Don't you feel that? Aren't you worried that they're going to ask a question that you can't answer? I mean, I know there's a small percentage of you who like to debate, but the 99 other percent of you, I know, you freak out a little. I do too. And I think of all the times where the Spirit has prompted me, and I'm like, ah, I don't know if this is the best time, and maybe later, and I, let's try to work at a, in a better time in my schedule and theirs. Have you been there? Have you felt that? But the unique thing that we see is the obedience. And it's interesting, scholars point to one of the, the most exciting things that we see is one of the reasons that the church continued to grow was not because of the dynamic preachers, but because of the everyday people who began to share the message of hope with those around them. Now, here is the, the, the thing that probably helps us see Philip as not ordinary, and it's the thing that doesn't make you ordinary. And what we know is this, and what we've seen in passage after passage after passage acts is this, is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was not an ordinary man, and you're not an ordinary woman, and you're not an ordinary man here. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, remember what Peter said, not only are your sins washed away, but he has filled you with the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Spirit, as you're learning to tune into his voice, nothing Philip was able to do whether it be the preaching or the words or the answers or, the, or the, the heroic things that he seems to have done, none of those things were done in his own strength. They were all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, here's the last thing I want you to write down is that everyday missionaries are led by God's Spirit. Everyday missionaries are led by God's Spirit. I mean, if there's a theme that seems to stand out in this passage, it is Philip's obedience to the Spirit's prompting. An angel says to him, go to this desert road. It doesn't make any sense, but what does Philip do? He, he responds to God's leading and he goes and he waits. Imagine what it must have been like to be standing there on this deserted road thinking, what am I doing here? And in the horizon, you see this little dot and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden you see this caravan coming upon you. 
And it's a royal caravan coming. And you're wondering, what is going on? And now you hear, once again, the Spirit speak to your heart. Go up, go up next to that, that chariot. So here's this royal caravan. I don't know how you would feel if uh, uh, the Spirit told you, hey, go run up next to that presidential uh, caravan. You're like, I'm going to get shot, okay? It takes some kind of uh, bravery to do it, but the Spirit has called him to. So he's up, he's running next to him, he's just listening, and he realizes his moment. The thing that stands out and the thing to remind us is simply this. It is the leading of God's spirit and the response that Philip has to the spirit. And this is the key to being an everyday missionary. It's responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you may be thinking, gosh, if all of us are missionaries, then no one will really be a missionary. No one will go to the places that no one goes to. If all of us are getting permission just to stay at home and go across the street, that's what's going to happen. Who's going to go to those places all over the world where no one is going? And I would tell you the absolute opposite, that when you learn to tune your heart to the Holy Spirit, when you learn to be prepared to go wherever the Spirit goes, you will, some of you will find that the Spirit is indeed leading you to those remote places. I can tell you that with confidence because it's happening here in our midst right now. As we've been sharing, there's about eight in our congregation who are, who are leaving in this next year, who are going places or making themselves available to go places all over the world. Some to very remote places in the world where there's really no gospel witness or very little. Some of them, I, I know, I can tell you three for a fact, have left very successful careers, making a lot of money. But they've heard the Spirit's call in their life. And for them, that's the safest place to go. It's the, it's the place of greatest blessing. It's the place where their life will matter the most. And so they're leaving that old life behind. Trust in his leading. And trust wherever it is he leads you, it's because he is already at work. Isn't this Philip's experience? As, as he goes, as he responds to what the Spirit is doing, what he finds is that God is already at work. And as you are led by the Spirit of God, go with expectation that God is calling you because he's already working. As the chariots of your life go by and the Spirit of God says, go run next to that chariot, go with expectation that God, if he's calling you, it's because he's already at work in one way or another. See, the unique thing that we see in this is that our response, our goal is not to get someone saved. Our goal is to walk when he prompts us to walk. It's to talk when he prompts us to talk. It's to stay silent when he tells us to shut up. Our job is to respond to the Spirit's leading. Be faithful just to your part. Leave the results up to God. You cannot change a heart. Only God can change a heart. But what you can do is be responsive to the Spirit of God's leading in your life. And so I want to ask you this question. As we think about responding, how, how has the Spirit been calling you to live as an everyday missionary? How is the Spirit calling you to live as an everyday missionary? Just as you think about your life and, and what's been going on lately, and maybe as, even as you reflect to the 8 to 15 in your life, have there been ways you've been responding in obedience? Are there, have there been ways maybe that you, you've been afraid and you've resisted? Are there ways maybe you just think, gosh, this has just not been on my radar I want you to be ready to catch the chariots that are passing by. 
I, I think back to uh, a couple weeks ago, and I, I just, I'm still so moved by what happened as we had a, a baptism service. And I think of 11 different people and 11 unique stories. And, and, and each story, the unique way that in some way or another, God was working through just an everyday missionary. And I, I have to ask us, why couldn't that be our stories more and more? I, I, I love, I, I probably show this picture. I, I tear up every time I see this picture. I, I think of Mitchell uh, and his dad. And, it, and, and part of this is because I remember sitting years ago with Mitchell and we would pray for his dad and we talk about his dad. And, and I see this picture and I see the joy in his dad's face and I see his dad serving here and, and what God's been doing. I, I have to ask, why can't that be your dad? Why can't that be your mom? Why can't that be someone in your family? I, I love the, the photo of uh, Megan Ritter and uh, she was one of the, the women that got baptized and her husband standing next to her. And uh, uh, Josh and Megan are in Jason's life group and, and what a joy it was for them together. And I, I realize for some of you, you're here alone. And I have to ask you, why can't that be your husband? Why can't that be your wife? Uh, every story, uh, a, a, a melody, with a giant wave about to crash on top of her. And why can't that be your neighbor? Uh, a, a, a Jason, Noah. I, I don't know if you saw the picture of this guy's tattooed arm, his big fist pumping through the air. A friend who brought him, who reached out to him. Why can't that be your friend? Why can't that be? I, 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 when I look at those pictures, I think about someone in my life I've been praying for, I don't know, 25, 30 years for this one man in my life. And I just, I, I can't stop believing. I can't stop dreaming that's that because I know that God loves him and God cares about him. And I can't stop praying for him. And I can't stop asking God to make opportunities for me to be in his life. If that moment ever comes where I get to stand in the water with him and baptize, I promise you after he comes up out of the water, I will either uh, just drop dead or, or a fiery chariot will come and pick me up and rush me off to heaven. It will be the greatest moment ever of, of, of my life. And I keep thinking and keep praying and saying, why can't that be my family? Who's God been calling to you? And I, I, I want this boldness to come because I want, what I want from you, I, it's not about us building Beach Point up. It's about us believing this hope that we have. It's us believing this good news really is good news, that it really would change the people that we love the most. One pastor began to talk about how he noticed his boldness growing. And he said this, he says, I haven't always been so daring. But as I gave it some thought, I landed on an explanation for why I seem to be showing it show, showing up more often. He says, I really believe the saving message of Jesus Christ. I don't only preach it, I believe it. I honestly believe that every wayward person I know would live a vastly better life if God's love, grace, and redemption were operating in their lives. And don't you believe that too? Don't you believe that the people in your life, that the love of God, the, 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 the immense grace of God could just capture their heart, that it would be so good for them, so good for their life, so good for their family, if that love could finally grab a hold of their life. I'm so thankful that this church has believed that. 
I know for a fact 30 years ago, this church believed it because there was a, there was a 15-year-old kid who saw himself as a missionary to my neighborhood. And this 15-year-old kid prayed for me and invited me, and he's the one who shared the hope of Jesus Christ with me. And as a result, my life has been forever changed and, and, and it's had a dramatic effect on my family. There was a woman who believed this, that she was an everyday missionary to Golden West College. She sat next to my mother-in-law and she began to share not only about Jesus, but the great things God was doing in the church with youth and kids. And, and as a result, my mother-in-law's life was changed. And as a result, my wife, my future wife's life got changed. And now generations of our family are being changed as a result of, of people believing this and living this out. And I know that's the story of many of you as well. That someone entered into your life who believed this with all their heart that your life would be so blessed, changed, if the, if the immense love of God could just grab a hold of your heart. And so I want to take a moment for us to pray. Let me invite you to bow. And, and I, my guess is this. Uh, there are people God has placed on your heart. I want to invite you to pray for them right now. But I also want to say to anyone that's here this morning, I want to remind you of something. God cares about you. If you don't know him yet, if you're not walking in a relationship, if you have not experienced his salvation, I want to remind you that Jesus came for you, that you matter to him and that he gave his life for you. And today is a day in which you, as, a, as Scripture invites us to, today can be the day in which you turn from the, your old life and place your life in his hands. Where your sins can be forgiven, as Peter preached in an earlier Acts sermon, times of refreshing can come to your life. And if you don't know this yet, if you haven't let this love of God take over your life, I want to encourage you in this quiet moment to make your life available to him now, to offer your life to him even now, to admit your need of salvation, to admit your need of a savior in your life and to commit to following him with his help all the days of your life. And so let's take a quiet moment. And in just a moment, the band will lead us in some final songs as we close our time of worship together. But in this moment, let God bring to your heart and mind the things that he wants to say, the people he wants to bring to your attention. And let's take a moment to pray.